Welcome to our NPR Illinois Forum series, Election 2018, Seeking Solutions. The series is produced by NPR Illinois and supported by AARP. I'm Sean Crawford, NPR Illinois News Director and host of a show and podcast called State Week. Tonight's program is in partnership with WCBU, and we're at the Peoria City Hall. We're glad you could come out tonight, and also welcome to those listening on the air and through social media. We're traveling across Illinois this year to hear how voters, people just like yourselves, feel about the various issues that are facing the state. Tonight, we're focused on a topic that politicians always say is their top priority. That's education. And we hope to raise some issues that will help you decide as you make your ballot choices this fall and maybe even raise some questions to ask those running for office. We look forward to hearing you from you. There's a microphone in the middle of the room and we've asked you to submit questions or comments. If we call on you, please step up to the microphone. And we also have a great panel that will help guide our discussion tonight. So let me introduce them. We have Beth Kreider, the Regional Superintendent of Schools for Peoria County. She was an educator in the Peoria Public School System for 17 years prior and was elected in 2014. She was also on our panel last year, held in this very location when we focused on the impact of the budget impasse. We have the Peoria Public Schools Superintendent, Dr. Sharon Damalon Karat, who has worn many hats as a teacher, principal, and working with the Tri-County Urban League. She's also in the Board of Trustees for Bradley University and is on the Heart of Illinois United Way Board of Directors. We also have the Peoria, uh, we also have Dr. Dean Cantu. He's a professor and chair of the Department of Teacher Education at Bradley University here in Peoria. He's written several research articles and books and has served as a curriculum writer for national organizations like PBS Frontline. He's also a vice president of the Elmwood Community Unit School District Board and just completed a term as vice president of the Peoria Academy Board of Trustees. And seated next to me, we have Pastor Marvin Hightower, a Peoria native and senior pastor for the Liberty Church of Peoria. He was elected president of the NAACP in 2016 and serves on the board of Upgrade Service Corporation, is a member of the Peoria Area Diversity Employment Action Team, Alignment Peoria, and St. Jude. Thanks to all of you for being here and participating tonight. So let's get started, and I'd like to hear from each one of our panel members just a quick comment or two, if you could, about maybe grading the state of education in the state of Illinois. And uh, anybody that would like to start with that, kind of what do you think that the state of Illinois, how, how good of a job is it doing? What could it do better? Whichever one of you would like to start. I'll jump in. Um, I will give it a C at this time. Um, we have been working very hard since we have a full budget now and we can move on to focus on those things that are the priorities of the taxpayers of Illinois and that's educating our children and not spending time in meetings wondering how we're going to cut staff and how we're going to reorganize according to what we have to do with less. So that's exciting, but on the other hand, we got very far behind through all those years of proration. We have significant departments that we have diminished. We have programs that we have cut, and those things are hard to bring back. We have lost teachers and staff and support to all different areas, so on that area I'm concerned. However, there's some exciting things going on. Competency-based education is the future. And we are lucky enough to have a pilot here in Peoria and it is changing the game. And I'm very excited about that. So we have that, we have increased funding in preschool for all. So there are some good things going on, 
but in the end, I hate to say it, it averages out to maybe about a C. Okay, that's Beth Kreider, again, the Regional Superintendent of Schools in Peoria County. What about the Peoria School District itself? Uh, could you uh, give us your idea as well on that? Sure, there's still a lot of uh, room for improvement because of the inequities that we're experiencing in the state of Illinois. Um, even with the new funding formula, we received additional funds, but those funds were really just able to help help us stay afloat. Um, we, we, we still need a lot of money. Pure Public Schools, we are operating at a 63, 63% of, um, of what we really need um, to, to really operate and, and, and you know, get the job done for our kids. So um, there's still additional funding that's needed specifically for pure public schools, because um, as I said, we're still operating at, at a 63% uh, as far as funding is concerned. So the state needs to give us the difference so that we could meet the, meet the, meet the needs of kids. Pastor Hightower? Well, did you hear 63%? That's way short of what's needed to educate our children. Education is the new uh, currency it's a way out of poverty, and if we continually cut education, we continually hurt our community at large. So we need to uh, work on that. It's important. We're making an investment. When you cut uh, from, from our children, you're, making, you're cutting an investment, so then we have things playing out in our community that we see today. Professor Cantu? I would agree. It, it, in to further complicate matters, it's within this context that we find ourselves facing a severe teacher shortage, and that presents a number of, of uh, potential obstacles and hurdles within itself. Um, but through it all, and, and I think uh, some of the fellow panelists mentioned this as well, what we see, though, within this context still is, is this is not deterred innovation, uh, creativity, and that passion for teaching that brings individuals into this, into this profession. So, you know, that has, has weathered the storm, so to speak, and I think that's the beacon of light that, uh, that's going to take us forward uh, as we emerge from, uh, from the, uh, the fiscal landscape that, we, uh, that we, uh, we have experienced over the past few years. We're going to talk about some of these issues that have been brought up here more in depth as we go. Again, we'd like to hear from you tonight as well, so feel free to submit a question, and uh, you can step up to the mic, ask that question once we call on you. We appreciate that. But let's start talking about funding, because that did come up again. Um, Illinois has a funding formula that's been labeled as the most inequitable in the country, that it does not, especially when it comes to certain areas that don't have a lot of property wealth, those school districts struggle mightily compared to areas that do. Um, start right here with the regional superintendent of schools, Beth Kreider. Let me ask you, in the state of Illinois, I pay a lot of, I feel like I pay a lot in property taxes. Majority of it goes to school districts. Why is that not enough? The new funding formula attempts to rectify the um, the over-reliance on property taxes. So if you live in a property wealthy district, children have more, districts have more to give to children and families. We tried to rectify that with the evidence-based model. And quite simply, while the formula does make great gains towards adequacy and equity, it doesn't do enough. We needed to flood that formula with the dollars needed to make things equitable and adequate now, but it's going to take 10, 15 years if, to let the formula play out. Our babies are in school now. 
They don't have time to wait, and we need to flood that money into that. The formula could make those gains for us that we need, but the um, General Assembly this year provided $350 million of additional funds, but we, that's a drop in the bucket. I think I heard a stat somewhere along the lines of $30 a child. That's not enough. We need to, if we really want this formula to do what we think it can do, we need to fully fund it. Now, 15 years, I mean, that would mean a kid who's in kindergarten right now would graduate high school before we would ever see the real, uh, see, see that go to its Absolutely. fruition. So, uh, Let me go back to... Uh, uh, Dr. Sharon Damalin Karat, and, and ask if you feel the same way. And you, there have been some changes made here in the school funding formula in the state of Illinois. Is it not enough? No, it isn't. Um, you know, just think about uh, being right now the way that uh, the, the quality of the education children receive, it's really based on their zip code. And that shouldn't be, um, uh, you know, I. I'm sure you've heard, we, people will tell you we don't have, you know, we have a, a poverty learning gap, a poverty learning gap. So um, the only way we can reconcile that, and, and when you compare high-performing districts with non-high-performing districts, a common factor is, is this, the, it's the poverty factor. And we, we really need to, um, we really need to, um, pay attention to it and, and figure out how we're going to fix it. And it costs. It costs a lot of money. I mean, for us, we have to do things like social emotional and hire additional counselors, therapists, psychologists. Um, we saw what happened today in our community. Uh, those, you know, those things have an impact on kids and, and it costs. So it just depending on where you are, if you're in a pristine area that doesn't have a lot of those um, ills of society, um, so you're you're sort of saved, and 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 you can reduce costs that way. So, yeah, we have to. When it, again, the equity piece is very very important, and we have to figure out ways to to uh, minimize the gap and to, to 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 assist in getting everybody up to par and making sure that all kids are exposed to high quality, no matter their neighborhoods. And Dr. so more funds are needed. Dr. Cantu, the, what, what we've heard here when it comes to this funding formula is that more needs to be done. Yet the state of Illinois has a lot of problems, has a lot of places that it needs to put money. This sounds very expensive. How can, how can this get done? Is there, you know, are there some ideas out there that could help with this? Well, I think you're seeing right now, we're in a sort of an embryonic stage of, of implementation or operationalizing the evidence-based model and the new formula. So can you, I'm sorry, could you talk about the evidence-based model, what it is, so people understand that? Well, it's actually, I probably defer to my colleague okay. here, um, uh, but it's as a member of a, a local school board in a community, uh, Elmwood in Peoria County, it's something that I've seen in particular, uh, there's a steep learning curve and, and, it, and it's a very condensed timeline in terms of the rollout. And you can see in the principal associations and other associations have done a great job of providing PD uh, to superintendents uh, and, and working closely with our superintendent as a school board, you know, hats off to uh, to the superintendents and the school boards that are, that are trying to, to operationalize this, and, and as my colleagues here said, it, it's bringing some modest relief, but it's certainly not where it needs to be. But relative to the actual uh, structure of the uh, uh, evidence-based model, I'll defer to uh, uh, my colleague. I'll just share that. The evidence-based model 
looks at 27 to 28 factors that it takes to educate a child. Everything from how many administrators do you need, how many counselors, how many children should be in a kindergarten classroom, how many children should be in a high school classroom, and it takes all of those factors, and it's based on research. I know what a concept that we're basing educational decisions on research rather than property taxes. So it truly is a massive leap forward in trying to rectify how we pay for schools. And the State Board of Education was bold. They went forward and proposed a significant amount of money to the General Assembly this year to take us to adequacy and equity now. And, well, we got $350 million. We did uh, hear, we've got at least one question in right now. We wanted to see if we uh, could get the person to step up to the microphone. Last name is Mooney. I don't have the first name. I wanted to talk about the homestead exemption. I'd go right ahead and ask your question. Appreciate it. Well, my uh, opinion is that homestead exemption is not near or close enough. It's like 5%. Seniors, they need to get the tax reduced down a third and most of it coming from the schools, too. That's, they get the most money out of our property taxes. We, we need to keep them seniors in their homes and not in the nursing homes where they have to give up their houses and all their assets. But as I was listening to all you people, you know, uh, it's a lot of money you, you just talked about getting for education, but there's people that uh, move down to Arkansas, Missouri, and places like that, and their taxes are a lot, lot cheaper, and they have a lot nicer places to live. And uh, and kids also, they grow up, and they become doctors and lawyers and, and a wide variety of things, just like ours. But I don't know, how come you guys are not taking a hint from them? And, uh, you know, on the same token, there's uh, a little school down here, uh, Hartsburg, Illinois. And it's a very old school and a small school, but, but they're able to keep their budget going, you know, on their, their means, their money they got. And uh, I can't hardly understand why the big schools can't do the same thing, you know, but. And it does seem like to me that uh, a lot of times on these school boards, we'll get a bunch of young ones in there. And of course, their kids are young and, and uh, they're in a different uh, budget than what us older people are. And um, so then we get a, a, a school superintendent like the uh, doctor here, you know, and uh, they have great influence on these young ones, you know, as far as uh, referendums and things like that, which uh, another thing is in referendums, they come around, they just keep bringing them back until they pass them, you know, and might word them a little bit, but they just keep bringing them back pretty frequently, which is pretty unfair when they're voted down in the first place, but uh, <sighs> I, I think more's got to be done. We don't want to run these seniors clear out of the country because they can't afford their house. They already paid for, for sending their kids to school. They send their grandkids to school, and 
maybe even beyond that even. But it takes money to uh, go to the grocery store, just like uh, our uh, AARP director. You know, she spends $150. Seniors spend a lot of money, too, to go to the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And uh, their income is fixed and not uh, great. Well, I appreciate that. Let me uh, have the panel respond to that who would like to uh talk about that as far as the impact that it has, especially on older residents, maybe people on fixed incomes, when we start hearing about the need to increase the tax rate, uh, the tax bill every year uh, to help pay for schools. I can take on the, the homes. I'm interested in the homestead exemption because I've been a part of, as a regional superintendent, I'm part of Peoria County, and I go to Peoria County government meetings, and the homestead exemption, I'm, I'm not sure if you're aware, there was an attempt to increase the percentage of that this year through the General Assembly, and there was actually a bill out there for that. And taxing bodies, Peoria County, you know, school districts, were obviously against that because that's one of their, but I have a deep understanding of the need to find a balance there. But the, also our rural communities, that has a significant impact on them disproportionately just because of the way that property taxes work. The reason that urban centers struggle with the property taxes is the EAV, the Equalized Assessed Value. The value of properties in Peoria and especially in certain zip codes are not what they are in Dunlap or Elmwood or Brimfield. And that disparity is what the new funding formula that I've mentioned is trying to rectify. So that's one way we can work towards making things more balanced and more equitable and hopefully then give relief to the taxpayers who are paying all these property taxes and have had to shoulder the burden. And one, under, one last thing I will say is Illinois doesn't tax retirement. So that is one conversation that is out there. Quite a few of our surrounding states do. So I'm interested in that and how that plays with this as well. I appreciate the question. Do you need to follow up or? Well, I, I still kind of got my side to, that I see, but I think it's, it's they're way out of proportion for seniors. They need lower taxes. And you guys in positions can lead the charge to help us if you would. But I, I was also thinking that for Mr. Hightower, um, you know, the churches, they could get uh, a lot of help for the seniors, and they already do some. But we need a watchdog group for the, some of these people, they live in their own home, but maybe they can't even open the door, you know, or turn the stove off or things, you know. Well, there's a great need right there to help these people. And, and, and a real honest uh, group like uh, affiliated with the church would be the proper place to uh, have a group like that. To let, let's, see them. let's let him respond if you'd like to. Well, sure. Uh, churches are doing a lot uh, in that vein. Uh, you just don't hear about them, uh, as well as uh, other organizations as well. Now, I will go back to something that uh, Dr. Canute, I think that was his name, said about attracting teachers into the school system. Um, when you're operating at a 63% deficit and you're always short on funding, what would attract me as someone coming out of college to come and teach. When I was growing up, being a teacher was a well-respected profession. Even now, I see some of the, my former teachers, and I still call them Mr. and Mrs. And, and now we have reduced education 
to dollars and cents instead of investing into our community. Now, I can tell you the results, and I can show you the results, and you probably heard the results of people that have not been properly educated. You see it in through violence and gun violence and through crime at large. And so what I'm, what I'm saying is I understand where you're coming from as far as saying reducing the taxes for seniors. But if we continue to reduce taxes for seniors or we continue to reduce taxes for, for the wealthy, we continue to reduce taxes for the middle class, where are we going to make it up from? Are we going to make it up from those who are already in poverty? And we continue to, to uh, create a cycle of poverty. And keeping someone in poverty will never help anyone, won't benefit our community at all. I'm gonna, we're going to have to move on, Mr. I'm sorry, Mr. Mitty. Thanks very much, but we got some other people we want to get to. Thanks, though, for your question tonight. Yeah, Houston, Houston, Arkansas, we also uh, have a question from Jim Nolan. If he could step to the mic, uh, Jim had a question as well. We'll let him come on up to the microphone. Thanks for thanks for asking. Sure, uh, you have the question, Sean. Okay. Uh, well. Do you remember what you, I, I can go ahead and read it if you'd like, I'll just do that. It's, uh, he says basically AARP uses the phrase enough is enough and says that um, when you have billions in unpaid bills and there's much more needed for education, how do we fund all this when Illinois' taxes are among the highest in the nation? So it's very similar to what the last yes. question was about. Yes, it is, and uh, I, I think Sean knows, uh, and, and others of you may know, I'm very sympathetic to all of the points being made thus far, but uh, I would like to know how you and AARP in particular, as a sponsor of this, uh, would resolve this difference between funding which is inadequate on the perspective of the panelists and taxes which are too high from the perspective of the audience. Okay. And I can't speak for AARP, but let me ask Dr. Cantu, I'll put him on the spot here. Sure. Uh, there is, there is a, a gap here as far as what's needed and what the state can afford. And we've heard from uh, at least one resident here, I'm sure there are many others feel the same way, that they can't afford to pay a lot more money. So really, how, do we, how does this get resolved? Well, th this is something I think is already playing out in, in the uh, school districts across the state. You know, we've got 850 school, 52 school districts across the state of Illinois, and the school districts are wrestling with that same thing uh, relative to the fact that there's a, a fixed amount of money. Uh, sometimes there is a uh, sort of a, an ambiguity relative to what, uh, what kind of additional revenue is going to be forthcoming from Springfield. Um, and then there's questions of, of what we do in terms of, of raising additional capital uh, uh, to try to try to not stagnate. I guess, that, and you're right. I mean, and, and I'm very sympathetic to what you're what you're talking about. And I realize it's it's a very complex uh, type of a, a situation that we've inherited. Uh, but we we we, in light of what we have gone through as a state and individual school districts have have experienced. Uh, I mentioned before that we've weathered the storm, but it's taken a lot of uh, a lot of intellectual capital that we've had to invest in this, uh, and, and sometimes it is is trying to do uh, more uh, uh, with less funding, uh, and sometimes it's trying to be uh, uh, 
think outside of the box, if you will. You know, for example, the, you know, one of the, one of the situations we, uh, I mentioned earlier is the teacher shortage, and people say, well, we've got to get more people into, into education. Absolutely. We, we have a, you know, across the nation, there's a 35% decrease in the number of people going to teacher preparation programs. But if we can retain teachers, uh, then we could actually address, right now, the, the attrition rate of teachers is 8%. Uh, and, but only, um, only one out of three are retiring. That means we're losing two out of three teachers. So, our, you know, so again, it's doing more with less. So it's, if, we can, if we can create new ways, innovative ways to try to retain teachers uh, and not have that high of, of, of an attrition rate, if we could decrease the 8% attrition rate down by 40%, we would cut in half the need that we have for teachers. And it's the same thing with the funding. It's trying to, trying to think outside of the box, trying to do more with less, but not allow ourselves to stagnate. Uh, you know, one of the things I've seen uh, in my work on, on, on various uh, school boards and in my capacity at Bradley uh, 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 in teacher education is I've seen a lot of innovation. I've seen STEAM rooms, I've seen STEM rooms and other initiatives. So those things are, are taking place, but there's reallocation of resources within, uh, within the operating budget of the schools sometimes. Uh, and it's not necessarily adding to, it's trying to reconstruct or reallocate what we already have. So uh, it really is a dilemma. I would agree 100%. And, and there's no, Anyone who says there's a simple answer uh, is, is relatively naive because there's no simple answer. And you're not going to appease uh, or address the concerns of all of the parties there. You're just simply not going to. Uh, but I think it, it starts with, with, with good stewardship. And what I've seen before because of the situation school districts have been faced with over the last, uh, well, actually, it's really been since the recession of 2008, 2009, I've seen a lot of that good stewardship. And you see that. But there's also forward thinking. And I think that's the key to education is we can't stagnate. We can't just sustain. We have to continue uh, to build. And we have to continue to operationalize our vision that we have. Because the world where, you know, that our, our graduates in K-12 schools or in colleges are going to inherit is an ever-changing dynamic world. World. And so sometimes it does, it does call for more creativity and innovation. Sometimes there's no price tag associated with that. But sometimes there is. But, but if we can invest the money that we have to try to grow those programs, I think in the long term, uh, we can attempt to try to balance all of the needs that I've seen articulated here. Can I jump sure. in here real quick? We're caught in a vicious cycle. And that vicious cycle is that our over-reliance on property taxes means the districts with property wealth, especially northern in the Chicago suburbs, were able to train kids to go to college. They had significant resources to prepare kids for 21st century jobs. But now we're finding out those kids are leaving Illinois to go to college outside of the state, and research proves that they stay when they leave. So that's part of the vicious cycle. And then the next part is, then because of that, other districts have suffered and we need to grow the tax base. There are jobs in our community here, right here in Peoria, that go unfilled year after year, not just teachers, welders, the trades, various other positions, because we don't have the trained workforce to be able to take those jobs. So that vicious cycle, and it takes resources in K-12 to start to get kids ready for those jobs. So the cycle continues. So we're growing kids in the wealthier districts, and they're going out and taking jobs elsewhere. And then in districts that need the support to grow kids for jobs that are available or to go on to college, don't have the resources to do it. And we got out of balance. And that's why this evidence-based model is so important to get things back on track for adequacy and equity. Because if we can start to grow the tax base so that everyone is carrying their fair share, then we'll be back on track. 
And isn't that an issue when it comes to um, certain tax breaks that are given? I mean, TIF districts are a classic example of taking property off of the tax rolls when it comes to not being able to you know, bring in more dollars to schools, or at least as much as should be brought in in those cases. So that, that has to hurt as well, doesn't it? Uh, let me also want to bring up another uh, person from the crowd who had a question, Gary Hall, and he kind of touched on something that we just uh, mentioned here, but I'm going to let him ask his question as well. I gave you two. Which one? The shop <laughs> class. The uh, shop class. Which one? Shop class. Shop class, yes. Um, let's see, it was last month, and uh, I'm a retired uh, Caterpillar worker. And uh, I go to general council meetings, and they said one of the problems Caterpillar's having is when the kids come in, and I call anybody under 40 a kid, <clears throat> um, they aren't uh, trained. Uh, they aren't. Uh, they have no knowledge of uh, what's going on with the with uh, different machines and whatever, uh, like they did back in the 60s, 70s. Um, let's see. Uh, what we need is, there's a lot of kids that don't want to go to college, have no reason at all to go to college. Uh, they, they'd like to get a job working in a factory or something, someplace like that. Uh, the, um, not just Caterpillar, but uh, the, um, there's a, uh, the, what's it called? Uh, I'm getting all flustered up here. Um, the uh, envir environmentalists have, uh, a thing going on right now with uh, solar power green jobs. and right great jobs uh, green jobs and if we could get people trained electricians and whatever on, on these jobs uh, that would be a, a, a great help that's the problem they have with these green jobs they don't have enough people qualified to do it if the schools or these uh, companies could say hey um, We'll throw some money in here if you train people on how to do these jobs or um, such as that. What do you think? Let me, uh, let's go down to uh, Dr. Damalyn Karat about the Peoria School District. Your thoughts on that as far as what's being done uh, to help vocational education in that, in that district. Yeah, we're doing a lot. I, um, I agree with you that um, not everybody um, will be going to college or want to go to college. Um, but everyone needs to be credentialed or to be certificated. And as a district, we, um, you mentioned Caterpillar. We have uh, seven kids who worked as part of the, what we call the CHIP program, Caterpillar mm. Hiring Initiative Program. And um, they went to school in the morning and went to work at Caterpillar, and they got paid and they got credit. And actually, Caterpillar is going to expand that. And these, they, act, they focus on kids from manual, Next year, they're going to work uh, higher, 16 kids, all in the manufacturing pathway. Um, we're doing a lot with pathways. And, um, and this year, they'll, they'll, for the upcoming school year, they'll not only work with 16, employ 16 students from manual, but also from other um, schools in the county. So um, the past couple of years, we've, we've worked on, there are four areas that's, uh, that's, um, that's kind of weak in Illinois in terms of, uh, and there are tons of jobs in those areas. It's IT and it's health 
and its manufacturing and its, and its teacher, uh, teachers. And we have, the district has all of those pathways and we're working with kids. So we've increased, we've gotten 40% more of our kids to get mm -hmm. into those areas. I agree with you because we'll see a lot of kids going on to college and then they drop out and then they have quite a bit of debt. And, um, and, and some of those growing areas that you, you talked about, those areas, they, those kids are credentialed and they receive certificates and they get really good jobs when they, when they get out. So it's a huge push of mine. It's a huge focus for my team. And I'm really excited about the work we're doing. We have about 40 kids in the teacher pathway. Um, actually, this year we had about, I believe, at least 15 students who pass the CNA test and they're working. So those are, some, those are the things that we also have to look at um, when we're talking about you know, breaking the cycle of poverty and getting them, it, we call it stackable, and so they can build on that and you know, get CNA and then move on to the nursing degree and, and have the work experience. Um, under the bill. Yeah, so, and the, the kids that are at Caterpillar, they are doing either machine learning and machine work, welding, um, or assembly. So, we are, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of, okay. and, and see so the thing is we have to help, and we're, we're doing that at Peer Public Schools, and we're going to continue to do that next year, helping them find their interests and talents, and then custom, helping them with the a pathway. We call it personalizing their pathway. So we have kids who, you know, like, this is what I want to do, and we're going to help them do that. But back to your question about the balance, we really, like, when I got back to Peoria Public Schools, we had about an $8 million deficit, and we have to prioritize. Mm -hmm. And as a state, we have to prioritize. I mean, I, I, politics really get in the way, and, and other structures that are ugly and old trying to get kids, for example, into apprenticeships, those are very difficult to break through, right? right. I mean, with the new evidence-based funding, for example, it's like, why do we have to use public dollars to support private schools? And that's a piece in that, you know, in this, in this new formula. So you, 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 every step you make, you make one step forward, then you take two steps backwards. And it's very frustrating. So yeah, I, I agree, enough is enough. Is there, oh, excuse me, isn't there a bill uh, going before the state uh, to uh, increase uh, the training for shop class or something like that? Yeah, there's uh, a lot of emphasis on pre-apprenticeship and apprenticeships, which I think is really good. Uh, last year we received $245,000 to work with kids and that's how they were able to get okay. into the manu manufacturing pathway, which is very good. They have skills. They're mm -hmm. done and they get jobs, good jobs. The um, IT kids, uh, which is uh, information technology, they right. were able to get really good skills. The health pathway, you know, they're starting off at CNAs and then they're going to continue in their Nursing. education. Yeah. Right, yeah, but in the meantime, they have a, a decent job with benefits mm -hmm. and they, you know, they're continuing to progress and, and improve. And, uh, and so, yeah, this is a huge, huge emphasis for us. So can we expand on that or? Uh... We are expanding on okay. that. Gary, we appreciate it. We're gonna move okay. along here. I My turn, to... sit down. Yeah, appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, Pastor Hightower, I think, wanted to weigh in as well. Well, just kind of uh, going on in the line with uh, Dr. Karad, um, uh, 
I'm a part of Alignment Peoria, and when she first came to be the superintendent in Peoria Public Schools, the emphasis was always college, college, college. But I think, and college is good, don't get me wrong, but I think we've expanded now to where we are aligning with business, what, the, what does business need, and, 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 and basing curriculum on the needs of business so that we can create a pathway into those uh, jobs and careers. So I believe the shop class, which I took, I wasn't very good at it. I took it when I was growing up, but I, I believe those things are on the comeback, and I believe that Peoria Public Schools is, is pushing, trying to get trying to explore every avenue to make it better for our children and our community. And I forgot to mention, we had the eight million deficit. Right now we have a balanced budget, but it's a lot of, you know, prioritizing and getting rid of what we, you know, all the waste, and that's what we have to do as a state. I want to throw one thing out there before we leave this part of the conversation. Um, a very important ratio for us all to remember, and this is for you, Dr. Kratt, one, two, seven. There's a video on YouTube called The New Economy. Check it out. I'm very familiar with the it. The New Economy says for every, we'll use healthcare because it's very easy to understand, for every one doctor that requires multiple years of degrees and advanced work, you need two nurses with four-year degrees, and you need seven other people in the industry from your people that read your radiology to the phlebotomist, to the intake person, to the coder, to the CNA. It takes seven, and that requires something, a stackable credential, something you can get at ICC, something that doesn't put you in debt. And from there, Unity Point here in our own community is investing in saying that if you start there, we'll pay your way up to being that number one if you have a, being a doctor in your vision. So that one to seven is a really important ratio for us to remember. And that's how you grow the economy. That's how you grow the tax base. Because we keep talking about this like it's a piece of pie, that if we eat the piece of pie, it's gone. We need more pies. We need to stop talking about it like it will disappear. It can continue to grow. Yeah, I like that. I, actually, I, this is how I say it, Gary. Um, out of 10, jo 10 jobs, the 713, seven jobs require either a credential or a um, certificate, and um, two jobs require a bachelor's degree, and one, one job a master's degree. So there were over 11 million jobs created um, between 2001 and 2000 and 2011, I believe. And 99.9% .9 of those positions went to individuals who had credentials or certificates. So these are the areas that are growing from that example you ask with the, you know, the, the credentials and the certificate. Those right. are where the jobs are. And so we really have to prepare the kids. So just imagine, out of 10 jobs, seven of those, um, all you need is you, you need to be credentialed or you need to have a success. You have to have specialized skills, and so you'll get a job. So what you're saying is, is um, if I get this correct, um, it's like in the military. You got one guy on the line, and you got seven or eight people supplying that person with, and you got the medical people, you got the supply people, you got this, you got that. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's absolutely true. In fact, uh, uh, that's what we need. I mean, everybody does not fit in a college education. It, it doesn't need to be a college education. We should uh, think more about people that, like you said, 
that would be working out there um, supporting. Um, supporting, uh, was it seven, seven people for, for every doctor? I agree with that. And then don't forget the janitors and everybody else. And there's no stigma there. College and career ready means everything. And yeah. everyone's on some kind of pathway. I was a kindergarten, first grade special ed teacher for 17 years. Uh -huh. Now I'm the regional superintendent. I didn't see that happening. But that was a, <laughs> that was a pathway. Right. And it was something that I, I'm, we got to encourage our kids. They're lifelong learners on a journey. And we have to set them on that journey by following these pathways. Yeah, I know when I was in school, my ambition was to get out of school and get a job. Yeah. Thanks, Gary. Right. And, and Pastor, you And then a lot of times uh, when people go into a job after high school, they'll, they'll end up going into uh, class, especially online, and, and continue their education once they get into the workforce and, and, and become adults and grow up. Sometimes that, that, that happens a lot of times. So uh, just because they don't go right after high school doesn't mean they will not ever go, because a lot of times that does, they, they, they go back. Yeah, I re really respected what Caterpillar did with the, this CHIP program. It was really, really amazing. And for them, it was all about social justice. They said, you know, in the past, we just advertised positions, and whoever came, you know, then they did their sorting. But they, they said, we're, we're going to do onboarding in a different way, and we're experimenting with this. We're going to go into the communities and into those areas that are really depressed, Right, and and we're going to work with kids, and 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 so that is that is that is amazing, and we need to do more of those because a lot of the communities are, you know, they're disinvested, they're ignored, and over time it it it's complicated. You know, the very first question. It gets really, really complicated, but we have to really think as a society, as a nation, we are as strong as, as our weakest link. And so we have to, we can't ignore it because it's going to come back and bite us somehow. So we have to be able to pull folks along with us. And, um, and so I, I, I just was really, really touched by that different approach. And that's what we have to do. And that's why, as superintendent of Pure Public Schools, you know, we talk a lot about, there's this saying that I really like from Harvard. It says, American system for preparing young to lead, our young people to lead productive and prosperous lives are clearly broken. And failure to aggressively, you know, fix this thing will continue to erode our fabric. So we have to really do things differently and thus the surge with the career, we call it career technical education, which I really believe in, um, and uh, just helping kids find their passion and their interest and helping them to get on a path to, to, to realize those, those things and we'll, we'll see success. So I'm, I'm really optimistic. I want to follow up too on what Reverend Hightower mentioned as well, and that is the fact that this is the initial uh, um, segue of individuals from uh, from high school into uh, 
uh, into either into their career or, or going on to post-secondary um, uh, education. Uh, what I like, though, is it's it's up to the individual students, and, and we, we are creating a culture and a mindset that individual students that might not have considered certain professions or certain pathways, those doors are open to them now, and, and they've got the support. They have the resources necessary to make those decisions on their own. Uh, being a first-generation college student, you know, this is something that, you know, when I was going through school, uh, and I worked with a lot of uh, first-generation college students at Bradley as well, and a lot of them choose teaching as a profession, uh, is to realize that this is something you can do. Perhaps the, you know, you're going to be a, a trailblazer, and, and this is uncharted territory, but be courageous enough. And what I like is the structure of, of our schools now is, is designed to do just that, emphasizing both college and career. Um, and, and as Reverend Hightower mentioned as well, individuals, it may not be right out of high school. It may be later on that you decide to change your career. We, you know, individuals now are going to change their career. The number is, is double digit over the course of their lifetime. Uh, so it's that initial career, knowing it's not a terminal step. They're more than likely there are going to be subsequent careers there. Um, but, but, you know, I think a great example is, is the uh, Grow Your Own program. You know, this is individuals that chose a certain career path initially in life, but now are considering uh, uh, going into the teaching profession so this is yet another way not necessarily right out of high school obviously but but later in their life where it opens up another door and they start that that new career so I think it's something that, that because of the the dynamic ever-changing nature of our economy and of our society um, uh, it, it demands that kind of uh, approach uh, throughout whether it's all the way from high school all the way through uh, post-secondary or in uh, as adults what we call sometimes non-traditional students who decide to come back I think we have to try to to uh, to uh, assist those individuals uh, so that they can realize their dreams as well. Yeah, well, kids need mentors. That program also, everyone has a mentor, and they also receive on Fridays financial literacy courses. And um, it was really interesting because a lot of the young people um, in that program, they, I remember example one kid, you know, they were saying, okay, we're wrapping up the school year, let's put your plan together because they were all seniors. So the, his mentor said, okay, we're going to go to ICC, and he has a job at Caterpillar. And so he says, I can't do both. You know, he couldn't fathom working part-time and going to school. I mean, he just couldn't because no one else, he had never seen anyone. And so um, that was, that's powerful. And we don't realize that, but the, 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 the the mentors are important individuals to stand by them, guide them, lead them, encourage them, help them to, to be visionary and encourage to say, yes, you can do it. Let's Kids talk, are successful. Let's talk real quick about, uh, about another topic um, when it comes to vocations, and that is in education. We keep hearing about a teacher shortage. Is, there, is that real? Are we actually seeing that? And, and what's the problem there? Yeah, it's a big problem for us. Um, we, uh, we have actually my... Uh, one of our board members, Ms. Jackson, is, is out uh, in the audience, and um, they're, they're monitoring, and, and they're, they're, they're poking me all the time. And actually, we had a job fair uh, yesterday where about, um, I don't know, 50-something people showed up, which was really good. And tomorrow, at Pure Public School, there's, there's, I, I, there's a virtual job fair, so I'll put out a, a shameless plug. I believe it's from nine to three, and you can get on our website and it will walk you through. You could literally 
participate in, in and look for jobs at home, just get online and it's called a virtual job fair. So being creative and thinking outside the box. But we currently have about 66 um, positions, uh, openings. Uh, we have about uh, over 1,200 teachers. And um, so we do have a lot of teachers. And actually, Ms. Jackson, what we were doing today, we were, I, I said, I need to see all the buildings where core positions are open, like classes, like math, where there's still a need for a math teacher or an English teacher. Let's take a look at that because we're looking at, we have one, ad one additional job fair, and if that doesn't work out, we have a plan B, um, maybe to do some things virtually. So um, individuals aren't getting in as, as much as they used to anymore, and, and I guess I'll leave it up to Professor Cantu, but we, you know, there are quite a bit of reasons why they're not getting in. Um, but yeah, for us, it's real. It's real. We still have 66 positions. Uh, it's better than where we were a couple of years ago, when, when you know. So we're making great progress, and we'll bring in subs and those sorts of things. But for me, my goal is to make sure that every classroom has a certified. Um, teacher in that classroom. Right, exactly. It's something that, that basically there was a, uh, um, a report that came out two years ago, Linda Darlingham and the Learning Policy Institute, uh, on, the, on the shortage itself, although the shortage um, actually preceded that date. But it really shed light on the fact that if you go back and trace the, the sort of the genesis of the recent shortage, it really does go back to the recession 2008-2009, when a lot of school districts um, uh, ha were faced with having to, uh, to make cuts. Uh, a lot of state legislatures across the, uh, the United States were tightening their fiscal budget. Uh, and as a result, uh, some teachers were being laid off. Uh, class sizes, the pupil-teacher uh, ratio started to go up again. And then a number of individuals uh, uh, who at one time were, were advocates of going into education for their nieces and nephews and sons and daughters uh, were, were starting to, uh, in some cases, uh, dissuade them from going into education because of what they saw happening. And, and so uh, a number of factors came about, and what we found is that across this nation, we have uh, basically a 35% reduction since 2009 to 2014 in the number of individuals going into teacher preparation programs in colleges, universities across the United States. Illinois is not immune to that. Illinois is, again, somewhere in about that same uh, 35%. Uh, and while colleges, universities across the nation have, have rebounded somewhat from that, uh, we are not near what we were in the, the pre-recession era. And so we're having to, uh, uh, we're faced with a situation where the supply of teachers is, is going down at the same time as the number of students is going up. The number of students is projected across the nation in K-12 uh, public schools to go up 3 million between now and 2025. Uh, so we have a rising number of students uh, uh, going into the uh, um, uh, into the schools, we have a a fewer number, a, low, a lowering of the number of uh, individuals going to teacher preparation institutions. And then we're faced with an 8% attrition rate. If you compare that with other nations, uh, Finland, for example, or Singapore, their attrition rate is about 3 to 4%. They may seem like a lot, but as I mentioned earlier, if we could reduce that 8% attrition rate down by 
to 4%, that would mean that there would be 100, over 100,000 positions we wouldn't have to try to fill. Uh, so that's why, and Dr. Karat mentioned this as well, you know, that's why things like mentorship programs and coaching and, and those kinds of induction programs that we have are absolutely critical for schools to try to retain uh, teachers in the classroom. Uh, another uh, thing that Linda Darling-Hammond found is that those comprehensive teacher preparation programs um, uh, are better able to retain teachers in the classroom. Sometimes we think that there's a, there are quick fixes, um, you know, to have someone go through a fast track to become a teacher. While that, that deceivingly, uh, you know, sounds uh, uh, like it's, it might be a fix, it really in the long term it's not because individuals that go through the, the fast track programs are two to three times more likely to leave the profession of teaching within the first year. So it really does, let alone the fact, who wants to have a doctor or a surgeon that went through a fast track program? Not me. Uh, uh, so it does, you know, it gets back to that, that kind of thing that we talked about, and back to the basics, and, and that is encouraging and recruiting individuals to go into teaching. I think it's an incredibly noble profession. And we've, like I said, we've seen an uptick in the number of people going into it, but also recognize that it doesn't end at the colleges, universities. It, it goes on into their induction period uh, at the schools in uh, having that support system. So, so you're right, there is a shortage, but we can attend to it in two ways. One, try to try to recruit individuals into, uh, into teaching, particular people of color, uh, as well as try to uh, retain the teachers that enter into this profession so we can do something about the attrition rate. So quickly, I'll just say quickly, um, there's a, it's a national shortage, right? And in Illinois, 80% of districts are suffering with this shortage dilemma. And um, when we analyze our shortage data as a district, which we do on a weekly basis, um, we, one of the, the, some of the, the patterns um, that I've observed, people are leaving, our teachers are leaving for higher salary positions. So um, when we talk about equity and we talk about um, you know, salaries and those sorts of things. Some districts are paying 35,000 a year, others are paying, you know, 60, 70, 80, some are even making over $100,000 a year. So there's a huge gap there. Um, and then, or, so two things, either they're leaving us for higher, higher salaries or they're just moving out of state uh, primarily. So that's it. No, you're right, Dr. Karat, because again, the 8% we talk about, they leave the profession every year, and another 8% move schools. Uh, so they're, in total, that's 16%. That's almost, uh, that's almost one out of every five teachers uh, are going to be leaving that school at the end of the year, whether they're leaving the profession, whether they're uh, uh, in pre-retirement status, or they're retiring, or they're moving schools. So again, it's something that, that is part of uh, what we need to address, absolutely. I wanted to share that a very concrete solution, and it's not a great one, is that I host the contract for the state of Illinois for the Illinois Virtual School. In the past three or four years now, my number one course is Spanish. There are no Spanish teachers to be found. We have a local school district here in Peoria County, not Peoria Public Schools, that did not find a Spanish teacher for an entire year. That is a critical component. That's a requirement for some universities to be able to enter. You have to have a foreign language, and Spanish is the one that most students take. So we contract with school districts all across the state of Illinois to provide Spanish in an online learning forum because there is literally not a teacher to be found. 
I serve 18 school districts, one of them is Peoria, and while Peoria I would consider ground zero in Peoria County, you go out there into the other districts and they are in just as dire need. They'll have positions that stay open, positions that 200 people would apply for in the past, now maybe six, maybe two. If they're lucky, they get one. Special education is taking it extremely hard. The support positions around special education, psychologists, social workers, et cetera, those positions are so hard to find. And so it is something that is not just a Peoria issue, as stated, it is nationwide, and we're doing everything we can around creative solutions. One last thing, there was a new bill. We've talked about some legislation tonight. One of the bills that passed this summer that Governor Rauner did sign Number one, if you have a teaching license in another state, we now have reciprocity. Hallelujah, you can come and teach in Illinois. So we honor that. And number two, if you have 60 hours, and if you're listening out there, call me. If you have 60 hours or an associate's degree, you can now be a short-term substitute teacher in our classrooms. If we're taking subs off the rotation to substitute in classrooms that don't have teachers, we need more subs that can do just the day to day. So I have a daughter that's a junior in college and you better believe I'm going to have her sign up to substitute from when she's home on breaks. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're just got a couple of minutes left. Dr. Cantu, were you wanting to weigh back in on this? No, I, I agree. And, I, and, and it does call, call for uh, innovation on the part of school districts to try to, uh, to address this. And you're right. And I think also with the bill, I think people that are retired can, can now do 120 days as opposed to 100 days to try to increase the, uh, the number of substitutes. And that is certainly one approach. But that is not a, a panacea. And that is not going to uh, address all of the needs. Uh, and and uh, I know a lot of districts are also doing innovative things such as uh, uh, loan forgiveness. If you teach for the district for a certain number of years, you get your loans, your college loans are, are uh, forgiven. Uh, and that's absolutely critical. Uh, and particularly if you look at uh, uh, individuals that are teachers of color, because a lot of those individuals are first generation college students. And if you look at the, the data show that 12 years out from college, individuals of color still owe, uh, uh, on the average, $24,000. So to, to be able to go into teaching and then have that loan forgiveness after so many years in the districts, uh, it, it addresses two situations, both the situation with that individual as well as the needs of the of the school district um, uh, there are also other uh, you know incentive pro uh, programs there are are signing bonuses I think this is kind of neat that in education now teachers get signing bonuses sort of like as if they were drafted into uh, professional athletics but but that's as it should be uh, uh, you know they, to try to attract individuals and and as the regional superintendent said I mean some of these positions are going unfilled uh, and so it calls for uh, looking at this in a very holistic manner not simply trying to address uh, getting more individuals into teacher preparation programs. Absolutely, that's one of the variables, but it's just that. It's one variable. There are other things we need to address, and again, I can't overemphasize the fact that if we can address uh, the retention and try to lower that attrition rate, that in itself is going to be perhaps the, uh, uh, the one greatest leap forward we can make across this nation. Okay, I appreciate that. We're going to have to leave it there. I know we've just scratched the surface tonight on some of these education issues, but I want to thank our panel. Once again, we had Beth Kreider, Dr. Sharon Damalin Karat, Professor Dean Cantu, and Pastor Marvin Hightower. I'd like for you to give them a hand. Thank, thanks again to everyone for coming out tonight and listening on air. This has been another of our NPR Illinois forums for election 2018, Seeking Solutions. 
Be traveling around the state this year addressing different topics. Our next stop, August 2nd, in Moline. We hope you can attend or at least tune in. I'm Sean Crawford with NPR Illinois and also for WCBU and support for the series provided by AARP. Have a good night.